anyway, this, that's no, but this this scares us right now. It still it still applies because we we have evolved. We've evolved from uh, scrolls, codex. We've got uh, these. We still have them in the room here. We got we got real Bibles. Real, I said real Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's right and here on right, my phone. Like, yeah, and then we have. In these. fact, I have images of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is even more real. Yes, uh, <laughs> but we're you know, and, and you'd even you'd said this, and we would all agree we're we're okay for the most part as a society. We've evolved. Plato was scared, and you had said that mm-hmm. last week. But but that that transition, I think, was probably even I don't know if it's more frightening. It's all it's all so, relative. So for listeners, the transition yep. is Plato was worried about moving from oral and memory to writing things down. And I, I when you said that, I'm like, of course, absolutely. Um, I'm not as nervous with this transition. I'm I'm more nervous with the Ready Player One transition. <laughs> yeah, but will we be okay? Um, are you are you nervous about this? I know we're we're jumping forward a bit, but I mean we still have a lot to cover here. I I would say that before I taught a class on it, I was more uncertain. And the more I talked with students, and the more I read, and the more I thought it through, and we had a student uh, who who was in our doctoral program, uh, Michael Hemingway wrote a uh, dissertation, uh, really taking up these issues and doing some really good, lovely work in it. Um, and thinking through some of these issues in this language of affordances that I, I used last week. Uh, and he used the, he, I think the title of his dissertation is Bibleist Interface. Um, and he was really helpful for me in th- rethinking these things in a way that um, I think I'm, I'm not worried about it. I think humans will adapt. I think we haven't adapted yet. So the, the brain scans of people reading versus people on screens we haven't developed that yet, right? We, we, Can you still... talk about that again for those who they weren't they weren't there at the pub? They yeah. didn't listen to Facebook Live, but this yeah. is very important. So, uh, and I'm I'm going to uh, give a shout out to Jeff Syker for this. I've seen some of these studies, but uh, that's probably the most accessible place to get it. He he wrote this book called Liquid Scripture. I don't know if I'm supposed to give these plugs or not. Oh, totally but, fine. Um, but um, published by Fortress Press. And he has a, a, cup, a chapter on this where he's talking about um, he got into he got interested in the, in the neuroscience behind this uh, of reading and thinking about how brains process the printed word, uh, how we go about reading, which is not an innate skill, not like not like uh, oral and language skills are, but we have to learn how to read. We have to learn how to talk too, but the brain processes language, uh, spoken language, in a different way than than written language. Um, and so he was. He there's a bit in that book about how light reflected from a page gets processed in the brain in a different place of the brain than light emanating from a screen. Um, and so different things, different parts of the brain are being activated and responding to this. So it's literally changing the way our brains work and how we process this stuff, which I, I just, that's a super geek out moment. Uh, I love interesting things yeah. like that. Um, what does it, what does it do with memory? Uh, memory is also affected, right? Because, um, how the brain is processing that information is different and people tend not to remember uh, what they read on screen at the same way that they remember what they read on print. Now, I think that's I think that's a, an issue that is changing. And I can remember having conversation with Jeff about this and saying, "Okay, but you know, you, you, 
those studies do the same studies in 15 years, in 10 years, where people have grown up, you know, my kids, um, uh, people in entering, you know, high school kids, um, that where they're so used to reading from their phones, I think that's different. That curve is different. If you test my generation, it looks way different, right, than if you test 18-year-olds. And I think it's, I wonder if it's especially apparent in our age group because we are the bridge. Like, we're doing both. We did most of our scholarly work on paper, and we're trying to function now in a world that's mostly digital. And so maybe there's a hiccup there in our brains. That we're the lost generation, Janelle. We, yeah. We've already said this before. Yeah. Gen X. We're not a bridge. We're lost. We're a broken we're bridge. We're lost. They left us <laughs> off the list. Well, I'm at the tail end of the baby boomer, so, you know... <laughs> There's no hope. Um, yeah, so I think I think that does. I think that is part of it, right? Um, and and how what people are used to and what they grow up with, right? So, and I don't think that it, another thing. I think we lose this in this conversation, right? It, that this is not an absolute break. Like you mm-hmm. can't have print anymore. Yeah. Right. Of course we have print. We have lots of print. We swim in print. Um, we swim in in words. Um, uh, I mean, it, it, we, we are a culture that is really bound to reading and writing in a way that there are other options like oral cultures um, yeah. that, that, that transmit their knowledge that way. But it's generally not 100% one way or the other, right? So I think we still do. We're going to have, we've got lots of print books. We've got lots of uh, things that we're going to deal with in print. Interestingly, uh, one of my sons, uh, who's in his mid twenties, said, "You know, if I'm going to read for pleasure, we're using the library. Public library is up in his among his friends. They go and use it all the time because when they when they're reading for pleasure, they prefer to have a print book. But he's on his phone all the time. Actually, he says, Dad, you're on your phone more than I am. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time believing, but you know, okay. Um, so I think I think we're in a transitional period, mm-hmm. and people were in transitional periods with print." Um, I think I said last week that when Gutenberg uh, invents the the movable type, right? That's the bit that he invents, um, and the ability to to um, m- manipulate that, right? There's a there's a change from just printing things on say woodcuts to having movable type. That's a whole new. And then you said, how long game. did it take for them to get a new font? It took him like forty years. I read that somewhere, and somebody can can correct me on that. I, I I'm not going to stake my you know reputation on that, but it took him a while, right? Uh, because suddenly they realized, oh, you know, um, we could do some other things. Yeah. Uh, and just a side note, creating creating fonts, I've heard, is really difficult to create really good fonts. Yeah. Artists spend a lot of time on this. Our um, friend Kyle, though, he he's created uh, several that are really, really beautiful. Hey, Kyle, we miss you. So. Um, the 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 they're just we're in a transition phase it seems to me and we haven't figured out how to navigate between you know wh- what sort of equilibrium between mm-hmm. print and digital. All right, so we know that the medium changes when you move from one to the other. What about the message? And you had talked about a Bible that we'll get to the Franken Bible, but does does the message change? Or the medium changes? People say, oh no, it's the Word of God. It is literally. The same forever. Well, you know, when you go from oral, right, to print, to now digital, is the message changing? We know the medium's always changing. 
And your answer is? So I'm shaped enough by McLuhan to say, yeah, it's going to be different, right? How we encounter it, how, what, what things, uh, what we do with it is going to change. Um, do we know exactly how that's going to change? No. Uh, um, this is where this language of affordances is useful for me because, because it's not predetermined, uh, right? These are some of the critiques of McLuhan. Um, but as people sort out ways, right? So for me, I remember uh, the first time I, I had a, I can't remember whether it was a um, Kindle book or something else, but you know, books, when they first started making books digitally, they would have this whole elaborate uh, sense of turning a page, mm -hmm. right? And pretty soon people, I mean, at least for me, that took like two page turns and I was like, I'm so done with that. Right. I don't need that. I just don't waste my time. Just I, I want to swipe. Right. Get me to the next page. Um, I still like pages because in teaching. Right. Kindles drive me crazy because not everybody's reading from a Kindle. And if somebody cites a Kindle location, I get it. I, I, it is a reference system. Right. So it works. Um, but it's not useful if not everybody's on a Kindle. Yeah. Uh, page numbers are better for me, and I, it, right? But we're in this transition moment. Uh, I think over time it won't matter. Page numbers won't matter either because people will just search, right? Or there'll be tags or something. Yep. So, so we this these are these are possibilities, right? You, you really don't need page numbers anymore in a in a digital world. But we haven't made enough of a transition yet to that sort of thing. And and there's questions like. Why does a page matter, right? When you can hyperlink to a whole variety of things. Sorry, I'm, I'm just sort of going down a rabbit hole of thinking about the, the affordances, right? The possibilities. Right. And I don't think we've quite figured all of that out yet. Yeah, going back to, so, so print standardizes a language. And then you say with digital, it reverses this. And somebody had come up with this Bible, the Franken Bible. And it's almost like choose your own adventure word that you can put in because, well, we also already know that, I mean, and this is where people debate, scholars debate about Hebrew words because it's such a, and when I say, when I say primitive language, I don't mean that in the sense, I don't mean that in a condescending sort of way, like, oh, we're so superior in English. I mean, like one word really means five different things. So, but you can now pick which word in Hebrew you want to put in that specific verse. So did you go look up the Franken Bible? Did you give it a whirl? I did not give it a whirl, but I... Oh, I, come on. You got to yeah, have some know, fun. Yeah. Let your hair down. I, I will. I will. I will. But, but when you said that, I go, that's when, yeah. When you said it, like, out of all the things that you said last week, I go, this is what's going to stick. And, and our table, we, we talked about it. Christina, we were at the same table. I'm like, man, I want to I wanna read this Franken Bible. Well, and I think some one, people were a little freaked out about that. Like, no, the Franken Bible sounds awful. Wasn't the living Bible like that in a way, though? The one that my parents had. That oh, we yeah, I have one. The synonyms. It had the nice green cover on it. Yes. Yeah. And uh -huh. it had all the synonyms. That was one of the... Yeah. It was very progressive at the time because it gave you... Yeah, it was a little out there. Yeah. Is this the word of God? Right. But, but yeah, the, so the, the message is now going... It's going to change. It has to change. Well, and then I was even thinking going off of the... Because then I got off on a tangent with um, Diana and... Um, her friend that she had brought that not only is there like the 
the Franklin Bible and the Guten Bible, but there's also now parody versions of the Bible. Oh, so there's yes. so there's like the Lego Bible where it'll have the Lego like pictures all made out of Lego of of scripture. And yep. then um another parody version is um I call it the Lolcats version. The Lolcat. I that's what I was gonna say. Cat I love it. Cat. So it's 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 Google it. It is hilarious. Bible? Yes. The Lolcat Bible. Yeah. And you can, I don't think the whole thing's translated. You can have a go at it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it is all translated. Is it all done now? Yeah. <laughs> so basically, it, it, think of Eichen has cheeseburger with, with the, the Bible. With the Bible. So well, you have gonna, like. When are we going to have an emoji Bible? That's got to be coming. We just don't have enough pictures yet, do we? I don't know, but I'm sure it's coming. It's coming. It's going to. And what would be the problem with that? Well, but now language-wise, is that a step backwards, though, to go from a, I don't know the technical term, when you have an alphabet that can be turned into anything, we'd be going back to a pictorial language. A hieroglyph. Isn't that a step backwards? So there's this great uh, scholar from the University of Chicago named uh, W.J.T. Mitchell. And you know... uh, written letters are a picture. Okay. So, well, but they don't, but it, they don't represent the thing. Do they? What do they represent? They represent a thing. They, they represent, represent a sound. A, thing, a sound. Sure. I don't know. To me, that seems different than this. This picture is, is happy. And this one's sad. Like, okay. So, 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 what about the one to, who sticks his tongue out? Because that yeah. one is, I use that one a lot, but others may think that like, I'm making fun of them. But really, it's like, nah, we're inside joking here. And you got to be careful with winky face. That's all there is to say. So, She's not talking to me right now. No. Are you? Okay. Do I winky face you on, when we text? Oh, just checking. Just checking. So it, it's right. Uh, so there are a couple of things about this. One is uh, emojis are just another language, right? They're another script. And if you think that um, English words, for example, are, um, they mean what they mean, tell me what seal, S-E-A-L, means. Like a seal on a door or a window to keep something out. Okay. Or it could be an animal. Okay. Those are not the same thing. <laughs> no, they're not. Right? So, so, so language is, is less stable, right, in, even when written. Um, the other thing is that, Ryan, you, you made a comment about, so, you know, what ha- was something about what happens, w- you know, as it's being changed and, and um, shoot, now I can't, because I, I have a seal uh, as the mammal in my head. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just a moment. I'm just having a moment, a seal moment. Um, <laughs> but one of the affordances of print uh, one of the affordances of of writing, but it becomes really prominent with print, is that we have this sense that when we talk about the Bible, it's the Bible and it's stable and it's fixed. So in the tradition I grew out of, grew up in, right, the King James was the authority. That was the authoritative translation. A little hard to read, so when the NIV came along, we jumped all over that because that was a little right. bit easier to read. It's still hard, but the these and thous sort of disappeared. Um, 
And let me say, I find the language of the King James just, it's just an incredible production. It's an incredible translation. And, the, and if you ever have a chance to read the 1611 preface to it, what the translators did, they were super conscientious. I mean, I think, I think this is a superb uh, translation for the early 17th century. Uh, we found a lot more manuscripts since then. I don't find it as useful anymore. But, but the print, as an, one of its affordances is it gives this, it creates this notion that the Bible is fixed. And the problem is, in one of the great... Um, disruptive things about seminary for many of us is suddenly we realize, oh, there's a Hebrew version behind it. And then if you go open your, if you learn Hebrew and you open a critical edition of the Hebrew Bible, there's all this stuff on the page. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's stuff running down the, the uh, left-hand column. There's stuff at the bottom. There are all these little letters within it that are Roman letters in the Hebrew. So it's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing to learn how to read. And what you realize is, oh, right, what the editors are saying is, this is, in, this is say, from this copy from the 10th century CE, but we have a whole manuscript tradition behind that in any one verse where pretty much everything's up for grabs. So it's like fluid all the way down. So... Why Those poor fundamentalists? You are <laughs> messing with their head. <laughs> yeah, you might want to scooch back a little bit in case the lightning does find me down here in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a shock through the microphone. Liquid um, scripture, indeed. Yeah. So, so, uh, but, but that's that's something that I think in antiquity wouldn't have been understood, and especially because anything written would have been read out loud, and the oral transmission is different, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I if I take a hit of helium and I start talking right and my voice gets all high and squeaky, it's a different experience of hearing. You know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, right? Yeah. The, or if if you got uh, James Earl Jones reading it, right, that lovely bass voice, that's a different kind of experience uh, of that. So so it's more. I think it's more. You, you're closer to the sense that this is more fluid. That was one in the curriculum that stuck with me, as you said. What does it mean when, say, the pastor is reading the text and then we're reading it on our own or in a different version in our seats? And what does that do not only to the text but to the the whole experience of being a body in that moment? And that we could be messing with the whole thing when we do this. Yeah, or or if you're reading, let's say you're the pastor's reading and you're reading, and you you quick tweet a question to the pastor which shows up on the screen, but then you also tweet to your you know your pals. Oh, this is you know look at look at this. Isn't this a funny way to say this, right? Uh, as long as you don't confuse whose Twitter handle you're using, uh, I think right. you're probably okay, right? But right, so so suddenly community gets weird. Yeah. The, the boundaries change, yeah. right? Whose, whose community are you part of at any particular moment? And this, and this goes to like speaking to, to your people in the way which they can understand. I mean, and this, and I would hope that now when I said, you know, missionaries back in the day didn't really get this. Now I think 
because of technology, actually, missionaries are way smarter and more relevant well, than they ever they have been. What can they do when they can take that into a foreign country? They could put a different card in their phone and then have all of the materials they need in a country where you're not supposed to have them. Yeah. Like, way easier to be a, a missionary godsend. today. This is a holy thing that this is happening, clearly. Hmm. <laughs> We did we did the uh, old mm, the mooing mm. over here. Do you remember that one back in seminary, Janelle? When somebody would have a good word and mm, mm. did they do that at Iliff ever? No, no. That's the <laughs> of course they don't. <laughs> no, I have no, no idea. Nobody what's... moves. It's called the evangelical moo. No, yeah. no, we're not evangelical. Uh, no, so there's no mooing. Oh man. Yeah, they're mainline. Okay, so um, we have a cat. Uh, you have a cat? Ver- ver- version of the text that's going to be read right now. Okay. Just because this is a good transition break to make you laugh out there. So, um, Hear from the, the word of the Lord, <laughs> um, from Ceiling Cat, uh, I just Googled uh, lol, it's lolcatbible.com, and I'm just going to read the first Genesis 1 1 through 5. Oh, hi. In the beginning, Ceiling Cat made the skies and the earths, but he did not eat them. The earths had no shapes, had a dark face, and Ceiling Cat rode invisible bike over the waters. At start, no, no has light, and Ceiling Cat says, I can has light, and light was. And Ceiling Cat saw delight and sees stuff and spitted delight from dark, but that was okay because kitties can see in the dark. <laughs> I have to say, I love that your screen went dark right when you talked about light and dark. (laughs) And and not trips over nothing. Uh, And Ceiling Cat said light and dark, no day, and was firsts, exclamation point, number one. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Ceiling Cat. This is so (laughs) new to me. You don't know this? No. This is delightful. This is delightful. Did they it's done called, the whole thing? They it, did the whole who has time thing. For this? Well, when you come across it, it's research. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you have it's to read a class the whole assignment. Thing. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious how you, you, you seem relaxed. You're not frightened. Somebody asked you that last week about how you know the the destabilization of all things and how you know we live in the post 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 world, but yet at the same time, context is key, and you feel as if well, um, it's going to flow to the top. People are going to figure out context. I don't worry about in a post-truth world, everybody's authoritative figures on um, all types of theology and how the Bible's interpreted. And you're like, yeah, so whatever. The medium changes, the message changes. Dr. Mark George is not worried. You're not frightened because you feel like it's going to be sorted out. Yeah. Can can you, yeah. He's very chill, by the way. You're not watching him right now? Super cool. (laughs) Not worried about his job. Not worried about other theologians for theology to go down the shitter, if you will. So I think it is the end of the word as we know it. And I, I think it's uh, that it, for me in that phrase and that play on that uh, refrain, the important part is as we know it. And, and I think we live in, in um, I'll be more personal. I live in a world where I make a whole series of constructs and that they seem stable to me. But my world is changing all the time. It's constantly changing. God knows I'm getting older. Um, 
And whether I know it or not, right? So if my hip starts to bother me, it's like, man, when did that start? Uh, um, I had to get readers when, when I realized I couldn't read my Hebrew Bible. I couldn't tell a jot from a tittle. Um, <laughs> so look, the nerd factor here is really high. Um, so, so I'd like to say that things are the same, but the only thing that's the same is the, is the constant change. And so we have a new, um, medium within which we're working and it changes quickly and I think that this is making, I said last week, this is making us question things that we thought were settled. We know what a community is. We know what Bible is. We know what it means to read. We know, we know the order of the Bible because that doesn't change. Um, uh, you know, we know, we know so many things. And that's, um, that's not quite right. It's like we know within, it's a spectrum of knowledge, and we know sort of in the, in the bell curve, high part of that bell curve, but at those farther ends, right, where we don't want to look, things are changing. And, and I feel that way about Bible. I think that this is, I do think this is changing. It's changing the way people interact with it. And, and I'm interested, and you know, my apologies to Michael Hemingway, I'm not representing his work very well, but, but to think about the Bible as... Um, I can't really articulate his no, his argument about Bible's interface, but it's it's a it's a point of interaction, right? You say the contents change, the message change. It has insofar as the medium forces us to rethink it. The Bible's still the Bible, right? And what I mean by that is, groups are are um, so I, I I I tend to think about it this way: I stand in a tradition that holds the Bible as sacred. It holds it as holy, right? Where does the sacredness come? It comes from the tradition. The words are just words. At, at some level, they're just words. They can be changed. Um, Deuteronomy, Moses very worried about people adding to or subtracting from the word. I think one of the things that's happening with at that point in history when you're writing Deuteronomy is People are learning how to write in, in non-royal, militaristic kinds of ways, and it's, they're aware that this, this new medium of writing can do some really cool things for them. But they also know that it can get changed. Um, the, tradition, the, 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 the traditions within which I live and move are going to adapt to this and figure out the ways that we're going to have losses along the way, right? The iconicity of the Bible as a print Bible is going to change. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's the end of the word as we know it, as the icon, and I feel fine. I really do. Um, it forces, I think part of what the digital does as we move from digital to print is it forces us to rethink, so what is Bible, right? Is it, is it the order of the books? Is it that I can place a translation of... Uh, first Kings on my screen next to a column of John. And, and am I creating something different? Well, no, right? I mean, the, 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 the tradition still holds, the Bible consists of these books, and these are the best manuscripts, we think. How we're presenting it is different. How people are going to engage with it, right? It, it's it, it, this notion of interface, right? There's something there. There are words there, and how we are, how we are experiencing it, how we think about it, how we interact with it is changing. 
Priests probably were not real happy with the invention of the Gutenberg Bible because if the lady can read and they can get their hands on it, wow, the cat's out of the bag. Well, last time I checked, there's still a lot of priests. The Catholic Church is still, like, working. Um, So traditions adapt, and they change. Protestantism really depends on people having Bibles, right, and print Bibles that they, that they can read. And, and people have made great use of that. Uh, authority's going to change. Community's going to change. What it means to read the Bible is going to change. Those things are, are changing. Let's talk about authority then. So how is authority changing right now? Who's in charge? Who gets to decide what is theologically correct it's not just going to be Isla School of Theology or the American Academy Thank of Religious goodness. People who... Thank goodness. Yeah. Because uh, th- you're asking, you're making all these claims, and I'm yeah. thinking, well, that's not me. That's not me. Yeah. <laughs> that's not me. But there, I think there are some um, seminaries and Bible colleges that would say if authority changes, um, then the whole thing falls apart. Well, but in, is it honest to say in Protestantism, there isn't any authority anyway at this point? I mean... There might be in certain denominations that would claim authority, but in terms of a final authority on the text and what it means, but sola scriptura, we don't have that in the, especially in the U.S. Yeah, I think we do. Okay. I, I think it looks different ways. So, and I can't speak to all the denominations and all the traditions, right? But I think, um, I think that groups of people do come to certain consensuses about consensi, consensuses, whatever the plural of consensus is. They reach consensus, and it works for a period of time. And again, we think, oh, well, then that, that you know, I was 14 when I learned this is what the consensus is, so this is clearly what the Bible has always meant, right? And I get that. that that's what we think. And then I turn 50, and the consensus changes, and I'm like, oh, hell no, that's not right. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's heresy, uh, so, so I mean, we have these changes, right? And I, I think in Protestantism today in the U.S., there are there are structures where authority uh, is generated. Whether it's the final authority is another question, but that people will say, well, you know, what does the LCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, have to say about this? What is the United Methodist Church? What's their position on right building a border wall? Um, what, That's what's, not in the Bible. Oh well, in in uh, Nehemiah, you know, he was really worried about building the walls yeah. of of uh, uh, Jerusalem with uh, you know a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. And we've um, all used them to raise funds for building. That's projects. right. So, so um, you know, I think I think there are authorities, right? I think those structures are going to change. Uh, so I was talking with students one day, and I said a couple of things. You know, are you ready for the robot chaplain to come visit you in the hospital and pray with you? Can you say to your smart... <laughs> oh, I think this stuff... Let's just keep yeah. going with this. This is great. Maybe the we can robot automate this. chaplain. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a robot... Um, oh, there, there was a celebrity who, who had a seizure. And when he woke up, they're like the doctor... I forget the full term, the the stand-in doctor will be in shortly. And it was a guy, one of those like motorized robots with a screen on it with the doctor. And he came in and was like, hi, how are you? You know, this is what happened. I'm going over your charts right now. But it's and still a real person? Was, no, it was a presence, I think is what they... A mobile presence. Like a Sheldon. mobile presence. 
Oh wow! Like okay, so that that, so like that that's from. By the way, when you, when you say Sheldon, for those who don't know, Big oh. Big Bang Theory, it's a television show. CBS. I yes. would guess most of our listeners are aware of Big Bang Theory. <laughs> oh yeah, when Pam and I talk about the Spurs, like who were the Spurs? Is that something you <laughs> exactly. put on your boot like, back in the what? old days? Anyway, yeah. So they probably know the Big Bang. So it's 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 the Sheldon. Mobile presence. Mo- he, he gets hurt falling down the stairs, so he creates a mobile presence that will keep his physical body s- safe until he sees um, uh, Wozniak Waz and runs home to go get his computer to get it signed and then gets hurt again. So I'm not even talking about that, right? So one of the interesting things about these presences, right, is that you have a, you have a robot that is, it's like um, a Roomba, right? A fancy Roomba. Mm-hmm. With a screen on it. Yeah. But then they have to Skype in. So you uh-huh. still have the person. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an autonomous, um, mechanical How can they be a chaplain? That is, is run a, is by machine learning, by machine learning and machine artificial intelligence. Learning. So that when you say, I happen to be a Lutheran with the ELCA, and I would like a prayer and a Bible reference and it will do it. No, we moved but that's not. But Watson. that's not real. Why is that not well, so, real? So, but you know, we, so this is why we need to do a whole thing on transhumanism, because that is the next era. It, it, but in spirituality, it has to be. You have well theology so, if so, it's going to survive. So how? Why? Why is that a problem with spirituality? Okay, so uh, just a card on the table. I'm going to be. I'm one of the least spiritual people you're going to find. So you know. Are you uh, one of those religious, not spiritual, like your wife? Uh, I would be more in that. I'm certainly not spiritual, but not religious. That's not me. Um, I, I'll let her have the religious. Do you believe but not in the spirit at all? I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. If you want the divine ruach, yeah. I mean, I think those are great images. But I, to I, say that a robot can bring you a prayer that has any meaning is what, it why? Is all it is okay just the so, words? so how do you so how do you have i'm gonna lose this <laughs> i love this i think this is great right because first good. of all who's writing the code well the, if it's, it's, you it's said not ai though if it's ai okay it's no so longer it's possible well it's possible that the ai will write its own code but who wrote the source code man humans right so so I'm not so sure if you, if you in your spiritual practices read the prayers of a saint from the fourth century, why is that meaningful? Because that's like from a long, 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 long time ago. Is it meaningful because it's old? This is great for me because I'm getting old. That means things I say are going to be meaningful <laughs> soon. <laughs> so it's going to be like Watson from IBM gets a theology degree. Yeah, so what would happen if, if Watson was running your smart speaker and you said, uh, you know, hey, Watson, I'm really, uh, I am really suffering from grief because my dog died yesterday. Can you say a prayer for me? And it generates a prayer for you. You have Alexa down here? Ask her to do the Lord's Prayer. Oh, that's a piece of cake. Alexa. Alexa. What? Uh, the Alexa upstairs, <laughs> she's way more awake. Okay. The one downstairs, she's <laughs> lazy. Down here, it's like, I have tuned you out long ago. Well, she's that's, sitting that's, on that's, the uh, bar. That's why she's always drunk. Yeah, she is. And she's also not Amazon. 
Hi, Siri. What is the Lord's Prayer? Okay. Check it out. And it just sends me a link to the Lord's Prayer on Wikipedia. Hey, Siri, can you say the Lord's Prayer to me? I'm not sure I understand. See, this is that's where my, we actually... That's, that's my reaction. This, this, human, humans would do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Lord's Prayer. I'm a, so, I'm a so, pastor. I don't know what that means. So we have to think about this, right? Yeah. And with something like the Lolcat Bible, with the Franken Bible. So the Franken Bible, the premise of the Franken Bible is somebody gathering English translations and saying, okay, uh, so here's John 1.1, 1, 1, and um, the, the Greek behind it it gets translated these four different ways, and you can pick as you read through yeah. which translation you like. And, and it does this with these, uh, you know, as you, as you work your way through. So you can create your own tailor-made Franken Bible, and you can because you know it, it, you can do pick whatever you want, and it can you can really alter the sense of a of a verse. So then my question is: Is that Bible? It's not. This is not code. I mean, there's a lot of code behind it, and 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 I appreciate that as I have done a little bit of coding. But it's it's taking translations, right? And you said you like to have these printed translations, mm-hmm. and you like to I see do. the nuances. So now, if you took all of those options and you put them, you created your own verse, you know, pericope to use the seminary term, the own the, your own little section of scripture. Yeah, is that Bible then? I have treated it as Bible. Yes. So the Franken Bible, you're going to be totally down with this. Yeah. It, until, but I have the ability to discern that I have done that, and I've done it in a context and having some confidence in that I know what I'm doing. Where I, I think what I get afraid of is if people with no education and no background are doing that. And then let's say one of those catch on. Let's alter John 3.16, and then that catches on as the way that you say John 3.16. What's that? So this, this for me gets back to the authority piece, right? So where does the authority lie? Does it have to come, is it only authoritative as an, if a recognized expert says that's correct? This is, well, for me, this is where it gets really, really interesting, is, right? Yes, we have denominations that play that role in the U.S., but, it, but we don't have like a Protestant authority. Into, not like the Catholics would have the Pope that would, could be able to say this, this is the correct thing. We don't have that. We don't have we a single have one, a right? a single one. But you, so, have, you have an NIV committee. You have a New King James committee. You have a, an NRSV committee. Well, I trust the NRSV committee a little more than NIV that could be bought out by politicians. But I guess that could happen oh, anywhere. Yeah, yeah that so, won't happen with the NRSV. Yeah, so. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to pull the curtain back on that one. <laughs> it's but I mean, a little like, ugly. I think, and so then, then that just also is being honest about the fact that any of this could be altered. Yeah. I mean, why, why not? Why couldn't the SBC in order to hide what's going on right now, fund a Bible translation that would make this all okay. Do I think that they're going to do that if they're real Christians? No, but in today's world, if you change the translation, then they're real Christians and you're not because you know what they did. Well, I'm not anyway, I'm going to hell. We decided that right, Ryan. We're going to hell. Yeah, but that hell's going to be heavenly. It's going to be awesome, and we have all the beer. So, so, so I think one of the questions, right, that the digital disrupts is, uh, 
where is the authority, right? Um, as I said the other night, I'm with Pilate. What is truth? And, and it's uncomfortable, right? Because it, it gets us to think about some of these things in a way that we don't really want to have to think about too much. And I get that, right? So, so if I've, um, I can think of times in my life where there's comfort for me in turning to, right, my passion is with the Old Testament text, and I, I know those texts, and there are lots of things that, that I'll find comfort in. But times where um, I'm unsettled, I'm, I'm grieving, or whatever, and it's a resource, it's part of my past, it's part of who I am, that I'll turn to these texts. At an earlier stage in my life, I might have said, well, I'll just sort of randomly flip through, right? And we've done these proof textings yeah. things, but most of us know that you can, well, legitimate almost anything. And I could say, you know, so I land on something and I say, okay, so God's speaking to me and I'm going to trust that that's the spirit. Is there an authority behind it, right? I've already made some of that decisions by saying, well, I'm going to accept the NIV because those people aren't those wacky leftists that send their kids to ILF. Right. Um, to learn, you know, there's no truth, but damn it, there is truth, and I know it. I think that I, I think that there are authorities. I, I we have a whole structure. The Bible industry, the print industry, is yeah. predicated Huge. on that, right? Um, I think that's going to change. I, I've asked my uh, uh, another example besides the robot chaplain, which uh, unnerves my students, and many of whom are going to become, I'm sure, very talented uh, chaplains. Better than me, um, I'll I'll be the one programming the robot. <laughs> um, is to say, okay, so what happens as authority changes, as community changes in a worship service where you go in, you have the seminary training, you you have the student debt to show for it, you have the certification to show for it, right? Because somebody said, oh, you know, we've put oil on you and blessed you and dunked you or whatever we do to you, right? The high holy hoopla stuff, and now you know, you are reverend. Um, that happened to me. I still had to pay two bucks for a cup of coffee, but um, whatever. Um, so, so you're now an authority. You go in on a worship service and you say, okay, so the, the, the um, lectionary reading that I, I'd like us to start with today is this. And instead of saying, here's what the scholars say, you turn it into have a go at it, folks, and we're going to talk about things, and I'm going to, I'm going to you know, draw on the things that I know, and we're going to have some collective knowledge around this, and that's going to be our Bible reading and our service for the day. So that authority and community shapes how we're interacting with this piece from our tradition. Mm-hmm. Is that... Is that's that? happening. I mean, that happens all over the place. I mean, I, a lot of progressive Christians, that is more the kind of teaching and interaction that they want to have than having this one authority okay, that so, is over them. So this is what I'm after, right? And yeah. can you do it through, I mean, Twitter, social media, that'll make that even broader, right? Yes and no. I So, you know, I want to push back on that a little bit because I, I feel like conservatives and liberals, progressives and fundies, whatever you want to call them, they're pretty much the same. So I always, I think Republicans and Democrats are too, but that's another conversation. And, and here's why, because... We always look for the figure, whether we are at Isla School of Theology, ooh, ooh, you know, which professor is going to be presenting on this, whatever, or you're at Denver Seminary. And this is just in our, in our city. 
This could be, you know, Nadia Bowles Weber as a pastor, or it could be Michael Hildago. There's all kinds of pastors that people seek out after Andy Stanley in Atlanta. Uh, I mean, let's just, we can just, the list goes on. Right. Uh, we do it with, with our, our presidents too. Like, it doesn't matter who's in office. Like, we're glued to the TV to see what that person has to say. We like authority. This the person who's now do do I personally um, enjoy the conversation? The collective community creates theology, absolutely. But we still bring in professionals at Brew Theology. Why do we do that? Mark's here right now. Well, Pam, Pam Eisenman was in a couple I weeks think ago. One of the reasons uh, we, we do it is to share the knowledge. I mean, yeah. it's a different platform. And yep. and spreads around what we're finding out and what we're learning and what's being uncovered. I mean, yeah. I think that that informs the discussion for everybody. Yeah. So would you have it? Would you invite me back if the first time I came I said, "Here's what God said. Here's what you're supposed to do with it." Um, and you know, I mean, I was I was I asserted my authority on the basis of my education and the letters after my name. <laughs> Right, I mean, hey, if God actually spoke to you, uh, yeah, no. Let's see. But I hear Rule what you're saying. Number one: no soapboxes allowed. No one person or viewpoint gets the last word. I guess what I'm saying is, uh, you know, and I push back a bit to be devil's advocate. Yeah, I think, I think it's a important. little bit. I think it's a little bit of both. I feel as if so. Uh, bringing in the professional, there are there are individuals in our community and outside of it who will come in just to hear the talk, to hear what that person he or she has to say. Now, those who, who really call this their community, they really just want to turn to their neighbor afterward, after they've heard it, and they really want to dissect it and process it and brew theology, which that's my dream. That's that's our dream as, as collective communities as well. I think part of it is too, though, like you get to spend your life doing this, and I, I can't do that and do the things that I'm doing, and so... In some ways, it's it's a collaboration that we get to listen to someone who gets to spend their life specializing in that, and and then we get to benefit from that and add that to what whatever we're doing out in the world. And that attitude, I guess, of accepting information, I think, is so helpful for the future that we're walking into. And I love that. In, in this particular context, you are not the final word. I point to Mark. Anybody who is speaking, and even in, in our in our small groups that we have, no one has the final word. Whereas yeah. in a traditional conventional setting that has, whether you're, it's a Catholic church or Protestant denominations or non-denominational, whatever, there is a final word every Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that, that um, in the, in the, uh, churches I grew up in, that was very clearly the pastor and mm-hmm. a white male pastor. Yep. Um, in ways that were, yeah, there's, that's a whole other topic. I won't, I'll just stop before I go off on that rabbit trail. White male robots, um, chaplains, no. So, so and, and I have to say, I'm also wired in a way that the more I learn, the more I don't, I realize I don't know. I'm really comfortable in class. I'm comfortable here saying, I don't know. Here's how I start to think about it, right? So as a, as a professor, I'm interested in helping people with ways of, of addressing questions, right? It seems to me that what I'm teaching is less content. And, and in a digital age, I think that's even more critical that I'm not worried about content because you can Google anything. Uh, it, it, you know, you can sit in class and say, I think it was, you know, in 
722 or 721 when uh, I think it's Shalmaneser the fifth dies and Sargon the second of Neo-Assyria and somebody is on Google, right? Checking and you'll get a shout out at 722, you know, the North fell. Okay. So there we have it. Does it give you the day and the month? <laughs> you know, it won't, but, yeah. but right. So, so the facts are less important where I think where I'm, where I'm less, where I think experts like me will find our ways because this is how I see my own role. You know, yes, I have content to deliver. I can't, I'm just like in Cape, the older I get, I'm less and less capable of giving a short answer. <laughs> Ask my kids. <laughs> um, but so there is a, there is a content piece that I'm worried about. Right. But there's more centrally for me is habits of mind and habits of thought that, that, part of being trained theologically is being educated theologically is learning the content, but it's also how do you think about this topic? And I'm wired as a, as a scholar where I don't, you know, yes, I have authority, um, but I, I, I have my own arrogances as people remind me about that, but, but I'm not so threatened it depends on the context, right? There are times when, oh yeah, I want to totally loop into my authority and say, look, God damn it, I have a PhD and you know shit. Right. And if you can show me on the Hebrew where this is, right, I start doing all of those things. In a conversation like this, I th and I think more of, we'll just say like 50.1% of the time, I'd like to think of myself as being, no, I think the collaborative is more interesting. Yes, I have. I get. I, I have the. I'm a scholar, scola, right? I get to recline because I'm. I'm privileged enough that I have have this education. I get to do this. I'm super, super lucky, <laughs> super lucky. Um, so I, I, I love to come to something like this and then say, okay, but then let's have a conversation. Yeah. And I read my tradition as saying, you know. I, I have all the good stories. <laughs> I tease Pam about this. So Pam Eisenbaum's my wife. She teaches New Testament, uh, early Christianity. And I'm like, okay, so, you know, Jesus parted. Jesus walked on the water. Yeah, it's a nice parlor trick. Moses parted the water <laughs> so that 600,000 men and their wives and their children and a bunch of strangers could walk through on dry ground. I mean, come on. You know, that's sometimes, a better story. Sometimes a new edition, the 2.0 mm. is not as good as the original. That's right. So, you know, they're great stories. And, and I think that those, there's something valuable for me in that tradition, right, of telling the stories. And stories invite other stories. And stories invite shared learning. One of the reasons why I'm chill about digital is that at some level, right, we're bringing more people, we're, 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 digital makes it easier for people to enter into the engage, into the engage, engage in the story. Now, sometimes, right, we're human. Some of those are really nasty stories that we tell. And they're really damaging, right? There are lots of trolls out there. There, there. there are lots of things that I don't want to stand for. Here's the double edge for me, right? Is that if I'm going to invite them in, how do I shut them down? And I think the community, this is where I'm going to turn to the community and say, is this what our community is going to be or not? So something that we think is defined, right? When I was going through and I thought, oh, I have a call. I don't think it's a wrong number. Um, I think I want to pursue this rather than get a PhD in economics. Um, what community looked like at that point is different than what it looks like today. And I think, yeah. and what today looks like won't look, it won't look oh. the same in 20 years. And I think, I think rather than be afraid of it, I'd rather be 
You know, the glass is half full. And this is an opportunity. And for me, in my context, that opportunity also means let's bring in people who have been marginalized from the system that's already set up, right? I want people of color in the conversation. I want those uh, economically disadvantaged. I want them in the conversation. I want LGBTIQ folks in the conversation. Now, right? right? Now. It's, yeah. I feel urgent, where I feel urgency about it is I, I, we have to bring them into the conversation right now because now is when the patterns are getting set. Mm-hmm. Right, I want I want peoples of different ableness to be in the conversation. Um, those things I feel passionately. Right, but I don't have to be at the end of the day. Okay, there are times right when I really there want to times, be the authority. Yeah, absolutely, right? I can say I'm I'm looking I'm doing it right and now, right? Because I'm saying I want to bring these other people in, right? And I say that as Reverend Doctor Mark George, right? I know, and a white male. So, right, I'm, I'm, I'm hooking into lots of privilege, and I'm also aware that my, I have a burden of all of those things for certain other kinds of things. It sounds like a very kind of Christ-like posture. And I yeah, mean you, know what happens, you know what happens to Messiahs? Well, it really sucks. But for you to, to be in a space now where you can use that privilege to open up the platform, that is... That is amazing. That was not happening even, I mean, I, I want to say even 20 years ago, like that would, be, that would be very abnormal. And now you have the opportunity to do that and you know the people that are doing the work from all of those categories and you can bring them alongside and open up this discussion and widen our perspective and the perspective of the academy. And that makes the world better. And Hopefully. I hope so. So, and I think for me to bring it back to digital Bibles, I mean, this, this is where, uh, so, so right. My friend Jeff and I can have a, have a lively discussion. He's, he's a, he's a scholar and a pastor and he has a pastor's heart. And I, and I really appreciate that about him. Right. And, and there's pieces of, of how he is as a pastor with Bible and the communities that he's in that, that are really important to him that, that, that the print Bible facilitates in certain kinds of ways and digital, not so much. Um, okay, we have those conversations, but I'm, I'm at a point with it where I'm like, there are a whole, whole host of possibilities here. Um, so that's why I can be more chill about it. Okay, do I lose my um, status? Yeah, and if I lost my job, that would be, you know, I'm old at this point. Uh, if I had to find work, yeah, I'm not ready to retire. I can't afford to retire for the kind of lifestyle I have. That could mean a real radical change in my life. Um, well, lots of people go through that, right? So why should I be special? Okay, that's pretty humbling to try to think out. But, you know, lots of people go through it. Um, and they make it. So um, I just think it's going to change. Yeah. Let me, let me make this comment. One of the reasons why I'm interested in this is that for most of the people that I know and the circles that I run with, we all have smartphones. We have to deal with computers. We have to deal with key cards to get through doors. We have to, we have to drive cars, right, that have computers on them that would probably have driven Apollo 11 to the moon. Um, and, and digital Bibles is just a little slice of it. And if it helps us think about what our life is like in, a, in the 
21st century and this digital age and how things are changing and we begin to ask some questions and notice some things, that's a total win for me. Because uh, I think we're I think we're waking up as a society, right? The scandals around Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and and other things we've sort of tripped our way into mm-hmm. as a as a culture. Um, and and I think in the rush for our sisters and brothers who are well intentioned who create the Bible app because they want the Word of God out there because it's going to transform the world, they're also using the mechanisms. Right. If you download the Bible app, you'll see what your streak is for for using the app, and you get you get rewards with it. Right. And this is exactly what Facebook does, and and these other apps do. Right. Because they know the psychology. There's the same app for drinking beer, by the way. You get yeah, you get badges. Sweater. No, you get it's the same thing. It's funny like that. Scary. Is it just the beer app? It's, it's called no. Untapped. I think it is untapped. untapped, and you get rewards in different levels, and yeah. It's crazy. Okay. Oh, we should have a comparison sometime between Bible <laughs> apps and beer apps, <laughs> and invite Lutherans <laughs> for the whole Mart- for the whole Martin Luther yep. angle, right? Um, so I think uh, for me, it's it's thinking through Bible apps, right? And what does it mean for the Bible? Helps me think through some of the other larger social things, um, and 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 this question of what does it mean to be human, right? Um, what does it mean to, to be human and to use technology and different kinds of technologies? And we use, I mean, we're talking into microphones. Um, we've got lights on, right? You got, you've got heating, you've got indoor plumbing. We have technology all around us, but we're, you know, I don't have a lot of this, but our hair's on fire because of digital technology. Um, and yeah, there's some real changes there. I was reading a New Yorker article about scientists putting a chip in in somebody's brain so she could control a robotic arm. It was super cool. It was super cool. Uh, you don't have to have Jesus command you to get up and walk. You can think it and do it someday. So what does it mean to be human with technology Im- literally implanted in your brain so that you can use a robotic arm. And I think, I think religions have thought a lot about this. And I think it's worth a brew theology session on theological anthropology. It's a mouthful. Christina did do a little homework for this. Do you want to? So my question is, um, at, my, at our table last week, we talked about the movie The Book of Eli. And the whole premise of the movie is it's a kind of a post-apocalyptic and the the main bad guy, Gary Oldman, is on the search for a Bible um, just so he can be his own Jesus and change change the wording for it. So my question is, is we see this push for a digital era, I would say, of having everything at our fingertips. Do you see the pendulum ever swinging back to have more of a written word. Cause like you said previously, we learn better with a, with a written and on paper rather than having everything electronically. We, we memorize stuff faster. So do you ever see the reverse coming? Uh, let me make sure that I understand the question. It, um, by the pendulum swinging back, do I see a point where people will return to print? Yes. Uh, yes. 
I would be real interested to know whether we see some of that now anyway. I, I, I don't know. It, it, I don't know how the studies that I've seen make it clear more and more people are using digital versions of Bibles, but they haven't really given up their print. I think that'll change generationally. I think um, as younger generations come through and they're used to the digital, I think a couple of things will happen. They'll, they will continue to use it. Um, and I think that ha- the ways in which people remember are going to change because they're just used to it. They're, this is how they're, this is how they're brought up. Um, at the same time, I think print is not going to go away, um, any more than bicycles have gone away. It may be that people's primary, um, option when they're reading the Bible is a digital form. And we'll know this is really, uh, we've reached a, uh, uh, you know, uh, past the Rubicon as it were, when, um, in churches you see, you don't see the big pulpit Bible and churches aren't going to pay for that. I mean, maybe they do just, just for the iconicity of that, right? It, it has a certain meaning that it conveys that way. But the pastors, uh, if the, we still have pastors as such and services like that. And not robots. It, it, until we get to the robots. Um, are using digital forms, right? Uh, so let's say that you have a graveside service at a funeral. You know, you have the funeral service and then you have a graveside service. And when the mourners are fine with that, the, the religious official is just reading from her phone or his phone or their phone um, or, you know, off of their watch or whatever. Um, and, and that they have confidence that, that they're, they're, they're hearing what they're hearing as if it's a reference to a Bible verse is something that the family requested for example. I don't think the print's going to go away. The, right, so, so it's not absolute, and I think the affordances of each, the, the, the ways in which we interact with Bible uh, are different in different ways. So in my scholarship, when I really need to like focus and sort of organize my thoughts, I'll take a fountain pen and a pad of paper, and I'll go sit in a favorite chair, and I'll have classical music on or jazz music on, and that's how I start to organize my thoughts. And then I go type them up and put them on my computer so I don't lose them. <laughs> right. I think that's, we're going to see some of that. That's a great question. Yeah. And I, and I was wondering if, at what point are we going to just going to go back to oral tradition again? We have books on tape. Well, we could, they're not on tape, right? The digital audible. A, audible. Well, you can have the robot read it to you. Yeah. In, in whatever <laughs> accent or character right. you want. That's right. Australian, mate, every time. I never thought I was anti-robot until tonight. Resistance you need to is watch iRobot and AI. What else do no, you need to watch? No, I'm not ever watching AI again once was enough. Well, it's also because it was two different movies and Good Lord. it failed the second part. But Well, thank you, Mark. <laughs> yes, this was fun. Thank you. Yes, thank, you. thank you. We'd love to have you back again. Yeah, love and coming. Those that have listened all the way, two parts of this episode, make sure you share both 117 and 118 on the line we are at brew theology on facebook and instagram also brew underscore theology brewtheology.org is the website and again rate it review it on itunes because that's important that's how you get more listeners and now we will sing for you it's the end of the word as we know it and now uh we all feel fine Except for Janelle. Except for Janelle, who does not want robots. <laughs>